Welcome to Reading Makes You Better in Bed, a podcast by Amy and Laura from Secret Book Stuff, where we talk about books, popular culture, and gay stuff. I'm Amy, the founder of Secret Book Stuff, and I'm here finally in real life after all this time with Laura Kebb. Yes, Amy, I am here in the flesh, and it is so nice to be back. And yes, everybody, before anybody jumps down our throats, I know that it has been a very long time since we've got, like, oh, we're going to record a podcast, blah, blah, blah. We're finally doing it. We finally run out of excuses, and here we are. All the excuses were just that you had COVID. <laughs> like, you had COVID, and then you still had COVID, and then I did. you had a bit more COVID. Like, yeah. That's pretty much it. COVID got me good. And here we are. And here we are. Thank goodness. Yeah. So for those of you who don't remember what we promised in the last show, which I know many of you are hanging out for because you've been messaging us about it on Instagram, we set each other a pretty peculiar challenge uh, involving movies when Laura was away in the Northern Territory for work. So we're going to talk about that this episode. But before we begin, I just want to acknowledge that we're recording this on unceded Gadigal country in Sydney, and we want to pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Thanks, Tom. So, back to the challenge. And yes, I know that a lot of people have been asking about it on Instagram. And we've been excited about this one too, because this happens a lot in our household. A clash of the titans, aka a clash of the movies and the movies that we love. Whilst I was away in the NT eons ago, we set each other a challenge to watch the movies that made us. And I'm doing little air quotes there just to try and provide some context, but... It wasn't the movies that made us made us remember. It was like mm. we had to choose a specific a theme. theme of movies, yeah, to make the other person watch and then psychoanalyze why we think we are the way we are because of those movies. Yes, which is pretty much what we do anyway. Yeah. And a lot of the time when we're at home, we have to kind of defend our choices. I don't know whether you've noticed this, but we keep our skills sharp by getting the other person to defend why they like anything to the other person, which is pretty great. We just live in a household of debate. So, Amy, what was your theme? What did you force me to watch? (laughs) (laughs) So my theme was uh, sleepover dance movies of the 2000s. And funnily enough, all three of the movies I chose were all released in the year 2000. So it was a big year for dance movies. Uh, We have Center Stage. Yeah. My ultimate bay because I was a ballerina. Then we have Bring It On, which was my secondary mm. bay because I wished to be an American cheerleader um, when I was a teenager. I wasn't yet a teenager. I was 11 when these movies came out. So In 10, the, 10, 10, 11, yeah. 10 yeah. 11, sleepovers with my usually my ballet friends. Um, and then my third movie choice was Coyote Ugly, which mm-hmm. was kind of like when I'm grown up, I want to be a sexy coyote. Coyote. <laughs> coyote. <laughs> Coyote. Yep. It's really it's weird saying that word alone. Coyote. Coyote. A, a sexy coyote dancer. Yeah. Yeah. So it basically tracks the progression of what I hoped my life would look like, but through dance movies all released in the same year. Yeah. I just want to touch on the ballet thing for a second sure. because every single time that you get slightly intoxicated after perhaps one glass of champagne, <laughs> we have come home to you teaching me, or at least attempting to teach me, lots of different ballet moves. I do like Is to do this ballet correct? When I'm drunk. It's true. Yeah. Um, and also, whenever we watch any sort of ballet movie, yeah. 
or dance movie, you can just I can just see you out of the corner of my eye, shaking your head and just tutting like an old woman. Just... Oh yeah, I analyze their technique. So yeah. actually, on that note, on the note of technique, um, I got a couple of messages from people after I chose my movies in the last mm. episode saying, "Hey, what about Step Up? What about um, Save the Last Dance?" Yeah. And Step Up was close Styles. fourth. It was definitely close fourth. It came out in two thousand five or six. So. I was in high school already, but I did love that film. Um, Save the Last Dance, though. Can't say I'm a fan. Can't say I'm a fan. And I would say mm. it's because Julia Stiles has really Ugh. bad feet. Um, she's not a dancer. How you dare she? Tell, you can tell that she's not a dancer. And it's just, it, it, it's too much for me. I can't handle it. So that's my answer to that. Um, but also great suggestions because mm. you're right. They are dance movies of the 2000s. So great suggestion by you to you. Oh no. Great suggestions <laughs> by everybody else. Oh yes. Um, are we doing me first? Are we just going right in? Are you going to psychoanalyze me? I am going to psychoanalyze yeah. you. And I think I want to start with, I mean, I had seen, I'd seen bring it on a lot and I really loved that movie. Um, just because I also wanted to be a cheerleader in the US. Mm. Um, and also, I've got the door tour, which is like the best line <laughs> of any movie from, you know, that era. Everyone knows Spirit Fingers. It's yes. just a lasting cultural thing. It's really funny because that song that they first do Spirit Fingers to is in rotation on Cole's radio is that like at the moment. Domination. Domination. And I've seen. Yeah. I've seen. Kids who were obviously born in the 90s, I can see the look in their eye that they want to, like, thrust out and do spirit fingers. It's really funny. So now everyone who's walking through Coles, make sure you keep an eye out. So I'd seen Bring It On Heaps. I'd seen Coyote Ugly a lot for lots of different reasons, and I'll get into that in a second. But I'd only seen Center Stage once, and it was when we were very newly together and you made a suggestion for a movie, and I, our relationship was new enough that I just said yes. So, you know, that's pretty much what happened. But I didn't mind it when I first saw it. I had lots of questions. As in when you first saw it? When I first saw it, all those years ago. Okay. Um, I mean, it's set in New York, like young people who aren't teenagers, you know, they're out of school and, you know, college age or whatever, achieving their dreams, doing their thing and trying trying very hard and achieving things and going out on their own in the big, big city, being big, bad city girls. This time when I watched it, and I think this happened the first time when I watched it too, is that I finally got a greater sense of what you did. Because for context, everybody who, you know, doesn't really know this. What do you mean what I did? As a ballet dancer is what I'm trying to say. Physical moves? No, but I mean like... (laughs) Without sounding too, like, The culture odd. of ballet. The culture of ballet mm-hmm. and the sacrifices that you perhaps had to make. So if anybody playing at home, Al, uh, Ali, Amy. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Would you like your other girlfriend to come on this podcast with you? Shout out to my girlfriend, Ali. Ali? Um, Amy was a ballet dancer for a very, very long time at a significantly high level. I don't know the ins and outs of the things that I meant to call, but all I know <laughs> is that you were very good at it and you were kind of going, you, you were on track almost to be a professional ballet dancer, correct? correct. At one point? Correct. Correct. Yes. Um, but obviously you wanted to go to school and go to uni and then here we are all these years later. Mm. So I think Center Stage is one of those movies where I 
kind of think, and correct me if I'm wrong, that it gives this really accurate portrayal of maybe what it's like to be in the ballet world. Yeah. This is like the shoe banging movie, right? It'd be right? The, most, the most accurate hmm. movie that I have seen. This is where they bang the shoes and stuff? Yeah, the intro yeah. scene. So, you know, and I felt like I finally understood a the pressure that you were under and just how hard it was and just how hard your body had to work in order to get that one spot at the front and i always worry about the rest of the team and how they feel <laughs> because <laughs> i only know sports things like, it's not a team sweetie. yeah i only know sports things so i always worry about the rest of the team in the back so you know i think on a whole i enjoyed center stage i also know why you loved it because obviously during sleepover times if you're with your ballet friends, you want to watch ballet things. Yeah. Did you practice the dances? Oh, yeah. We knew all the dances. Yeah. I still know all the dances. We even did... I'll post a video um, later. <laughs> we even did a dance in, like, one of our ballet concerts to... Um, what's that sh- What's that song about friends? Mm, sure, yeah. Um, we, we, we could be friends forever. <laughs> you know that one? Uh, Amy Love It to a Ring in 2023. <laughs> Um, and it was really fun. Mm. Yeah. My, my best friend, Elise, who I danced with back in the Mm. day could attest to that. We wore these little red halter neck dress kind of things and it was like center stage themed. There was five of us. Yeah. It was, it was a good time. So yes, I liked center stage and I can see this part that it played in your life. Tell everybody what you were texting me when you watched it. The blonde guy is not attractive. He's a dweeb boy. His voice is weird and he's sweaty. Great soundtrack, though. I said that verbatim <laughs> because I copied it down. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I also wanted to know how you know all the steps and how do you know who's a dancer and who's not? Like, how do you remember all the steps? I mean, I went to that one gym class with you and I couldn't keep up with all the moves. So how do you know? how a ballet dancer remembers the steps? Yeah. You just do. Like, it's mm. just part of your life. Write that down, everybody. It's you just, just do. You just do. Like it's yeah. just it's muscle memory. It's practice. It's the way your brain works. Mm. Um, it's like asking, how do you remember the lyrics of a song? Mm. Like it's the same thing, you know. Okay. Um, and what was your other question? Oh, how do I know which which of yeah. the actors are dancers or not? Yes. Oh my god, it's so obvious. So if they're not a dancer, like Maureen, our friend Maureen, mm-hmm. um, and Zoe Saldana, yep. who plays what's her name? In the show, I can't remember. Um, Eva mm. in the rebellious one who yeah. smokes and doesn't wear the right leotard. Yeah. yeah. So she's not a dancer. You can tell because they never show her full body mm-hmm. uh, when she's doing dance moves. Uh, she, you only see her dancing from far away. So uh-huh. that's a, a stand in. What do you call them? Stand in, standby, uh, stunt double. Stunt double. Thank you. The stunt <laughs> double. Um, and. Also, with Maureen, the Mm. bitch character, she's also only shown dancing from far away, but you can mainly tell because of her upper body. So when you see her dancing, and Mm. I have, like, inverted commas around dancing, Uh you only see her upper body, but she doesn't carry her upper body like a dancer. She's Mm. skinny like a dancer, but it's just, it's just, I just, I can't, like, it's just a thing. You just know. Mm. You just know that she's not a dancer. And she's not. Like, she's stereo- she looks like what we perceive as a stereotypical ballet dancer. Yeah, so as someone on the outside would perceive a stereotypical ballet dancer as mm. just being, like, very thin and poised with a long mm-hmm. neck. And she has all those things. But a ballet dancer observing from the outside, mm-hmm. a stereotypical ballet dancer, it's about 
how you carry yourself. Right. It's about the position of your head and your neck and your arms and mm-hmm. the way you move your arms. Like it's like the difference between me moving my arms and you moving your arms. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Maureen moves her arms like you. Mm. I mean, high compliment because she was still fine. <laughs> so we go from something like center stage, which is obviously a bit more accurate in terms of like the ballet world, as you said, the most accurate kind of, you know, ballet movie, especially of the time. And then we go to something like Bring It On, mm-hmm. which I think, you know, anybody who has a criticism of Bring It On, I think that you just need to understand it was what it was in terms of it was a cheerleader movie. Yeah, it is what it is. It was a cheerleader <laughs> movie. It can be, you know, extremely problematic in some aspects oh, of yeah. it i remember um, loving it like we all loved it when it came yeah. out but then i remember watching it again with my sister not that long ago and mm. we both got really bored we were like oh this is not as good as i didn't get now. bored because kirsten dunce i still love her as an actress i, and I think she's great crush on um eliza dushke who's that you know the her best friend her friend her her cool her cool friend in the oh missy pants. Missy, yeah. Yeah, the gymnast. Eliza Dushku used to love her. The school has no gymnastics team. This is a last resort. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, her. cool. So, yeah, I love that movie, and I can also understand why it was so pivotal in your life, because it was pivotal in mine, because it was pivotal in... It was it was lives. the movie that everybody watched yeah. at a sleepover. You know, you go down to the video store, you pick it up, probably rewind the tape, Such and then watch movie. it on. Yeah. But something like Coyote Ugly, mm-hmm. which I wouldn't really call a dance movie specifically in my mind. Mm-hmm. I would call it a lifestyle movie mm-hmm. with a twist. And for those of you who don't know, I always wanted to be a coyote for a big chunk of time in like my late teens and into like my early 20s. Mm-hmm. So much so that when I was in Europe, in Spain, I did the thing. I was up on the bar dancing to stuff and lip syncing to a song, which I can't even remember now, and pulling bottles from, like, behind the bar and doing that thing where they, like, run along and, like, give people shots and stuff. Um, Yeah, so that was really fun for me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, seeing this movie on the list, it was the first one that I watched, I will admit, and then there was a big break, and I finally gave in to you going, dear God, please watch all the movies yeah, or I'm so leaving you. Yeah, so one of the other reasons why we couldn't record this podcast for so long was Laura had COVID, but also Laura hadn't finished watching all the movies. Yes. Center stage just slipped through last week, didn't it? Mm. Anyway, we're supposed to be talking about me here. You're supposed to be analyzing why I am the way I am because of those movies. But actually, okay. I'm just hearing a lot of Laura. <laughs> I'm just hearing a lot of, yeah, I really want to play Coyote. Yeah, well, I was insane. <laughs> I can understand. So the reason that these movies were so important to you is that I feel like being a dancer can be somewhat isolating from people who are not dancers. So if you're not a dancer, you don't really understand what dancers go through and what they have to do. And I think that dancers and groups of dancers have specific talents that maybe their other friends don't have. And I feel like it would have been this whole thing of if you can't see it, you can't be it. And it was all of these amazing examples on TV of people who looked like you Mm. doing incredible, wonderful things and you could all bond over it with your friends. Totally. You know. So yeah, I have it. a more important question though. Go on. If I went to an American high school, which was my ultimate dream. Yes. Would I have been a cheerleader? No. What? <laughs> Do you know why? Why? Who would because I Because you're too modest. You're too modest. And I don't know whether you would have been willing to put yourself out there. 
I would have been one of the cheerleaders at the back, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I would have had a great time with my cheerleader friends, but I wouldn't have made captain. Yeah. See, I would have made captain, but not because of my dance moves. Because of my ruthless <laughs> rule. <laughs> ruthless rule to the top. Tell everybody about the Coyote Ugly facts, because I didn't know about that until recently. So, Elizabeth Gilbert, a writer who most of you probably know... Has from Eat, Pray, Love. From Eat, Pray, Love fame um, and also Big Magic fame. Yeah. And the TED Talk. You and know, the Liz TED Talk, Cody. yes. And, um, you know, just being awesome. <laughs> just being awesome. Shout out to Liz. Um, and she wrote an essay um, in a collection of essays um, about New York, loving New York. Um, it was the second edition in a collection of essays called um, Goodbye to All That. But I can't remember what the second one is, but we'll put it in the bio. So just hold out for that. Elizabeth Gilbert was a coyote. She was a full coyote. She did the thing. Yeah, and this movie is based on that that essay she wrote, right? Uh, I you don't know. No, I don't know about don't that. Don't go back on it now. I don't think don't about that. Don't go back on it now. I'm pretty sure if you Google it, you will find <laughs> that the movie was made based on Elizabeth Gilbert's essay. I'm going to find it, but I think perhaps the essay came out after the movie. But anyway. Well, now we've just given everyone the wrong fact. <laughs> anyway. It's terrible. The true fact is of the matter is that Elizabeth Gilbert was a coyote. And I found that really fascinating because everything that I know about Elizabeth Gilbert doesn't fit in with that at all. You know, I don't really imagine her like getting up on stage and shaking a thing. But everybody has different shades. We're all Rubik's Cubes in a big old world of awesome. That's beautiful, sweetheart. Thank you. I think we should pause so I can Google the fact. <laughs> We're not going to get yeah, back. Yeah, we're going to pause. All right, we'll, we'll be, be right, right back. back. Hi, everyone. We're back. Uh, before we talk about Laura's films, I just want to let you know that I did Google it, and Laura's original fact-telling, yes. fact-telling <laughs> all those years ago that impressed me is actually true, and she's gone back on it, but she's wrong. The film Coyote Ugly was actually based on Elizabeth Gilbert's life. In 1997, she wrote an article for GQ Mm. about her time working for like a Coyote Ugly style saloon. And then US producer Jerry Bruckheimer bought the rights to the story Mm. afterwards, turned it into a film. Bam. Done. Also, Jessica Simpson turned down the lead role. Really? I don't think she would have been right for it. I love a fact. The other chicka is really right for it because I think she's just so soft and sweet, but um, she's different great. than Jessica Simpson. Yeah, is what I'll say. Okay, so where are we at now? You want you remind everyone what your movies were. So just to give everybody a reminder, uh, so Amy had her sleepover movies that she used to watch with her dance friends about dancing. Mm-hmm. Although Coyote Ugly is about, you know, it's dancing. Stop. Go on. Promiscuity. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And my movies and my theme was based around one of my favorite writers, creators, anything you want to say of all time, Nora Ephron. But I also, the subtitle for this theme is also Meg Ryan. So I chose three movies, just as Amy did. Sleepers in Seattle, You've Got Mail, and When Harry Met Sally. Mm -hmm. Oh, so great. Good choices by me. Okay. okay. Are you ready? Yes. Do you want to say anything before I go into my notes? I do. Okay. So the reason that, and not, not many people know this about me, that I am so obsessed with Nora Ephron movies because I'm not really one to watch a rom-com, but I'm going to get into it later why I wouldn't really call them rom-coms. But anyway, I love Nora Ephron and I fell in love with, 
with New York because of Nora Ephron. I fell in love with the possibility of love because of Nora Ephron. I fell in love with witty one-liners slash big sweeping statements because of Nora Ephron. Um, I dragged Amy to various locations all around New York because of Nora Ephron. And for anybody who has not seen um, the documentary Everything is Copy um, about Nora Ephron's life, please go ahead and do so. And also there are many, many essay collections that she has written. Um, one of them, one of my favorites is I Feel Bad About My Neck, which is a really great essay collection. So mm. there you go. There's my little spiel. Okay, oh, no, thank I you for the spiel. Um, I have watched You've Got Mail before mm. a couple of times with you. It was one of the first movies that we watched together. I had never seen it, mm-hmm. um, and I really liked it, and I understood you from watching that movie. But now, having watched it back five years later into mm. our relationship, I, it just made me understand you even more. <laughs> well, not really understand you. It's more like, oh, God, this is such a Laura movie, you know? <laughs> Like everything, every like every second line, I'm like, oh, that's such a Laura line, you know. So that just made me feel like these movies have been so instrumental to who you are as a creative and as mm. a writer, and also a lot of the jokes that you've told are not your <laughs> own, which I now understand from having watched these films. So mm. I'm going to get into it. You've got mail. I'm mm-hmm. literally just going to read my notes in my Great. phone, okay? Awesome. So like no context. Let's do it. Oh. So it starts with two people emotionally cheating on their partners, but with cute, jaunty music to make it okay. Mm-hmm. Correct? Yeah, sure. Tom Hanks appears to be overacting, and it's annoying. <laughs> it was the 90s. Everybody's over- overacting. Cute dog. Great soundtrack. I believe that was when um, Dreams by the Cranberries came on. Mm-hmm. Of course, she's carrying a pumpkin. That is such a quirky Laura thing. <laughs> It's fall, New York in the fall. Sharpened pencils. (laughs) The way they write to each other is also very Laura style. Like when, I don't remember if it's her or him, Meg Ryan or Tom Hanks, who says, I like to start my emails to you as if we're in the middle of a conversation. Meg Ryan. Meg Ryan says that. um, And I was like, that's so Laura. (laughs) And if you go to Laura's website, laurakebby.com, you will see (laughs) that she has stolen that line on her website. Appropriated yeah. that Just line. like Meg Ryan, I'm going to start this conversation as though we're in the middle of a really great one. Yeah. The butterfly on the subway, also very Laura moment. Very good example of a Nora Ephron sweeping statement. So Caroline O'Donoghue in her podcast, um, what's it called? Sentimental, um, Sentimental Garbage. Garbage. Talks about they did a whole Nora Ephron segment and they talked about how Nora Ephron is so famous for making these huge sweeping statements. Not like... like proclamations about anything political or anything like that. They're just like very assured, great sentences. And that is how I fell in love with creative nonfiction and something like today I saw a butterfly on the subway. I'm assuming it got off at fifth Avenue to buy a hat, which it will later regret, you know, it's something like that. And that is one of those sweeping statements that like forms this thought that just tumbles out after the sentence. Mm. It's magic. Sorry, go on. Um, I also like, obviously, that it's set in a bookshop and then mm-hmm. she runs a little bookshop and then a big kind of Amazonian bookshop opens mm-hmm. around the corner. So the premise of that is cool because, you know, we're book people. I like what she says about books and how they can help people learn who they can be. She yeah. says, when you read a book as a child, it becomes a part of your identity in a way that no other reading in your whole life does. Mm-hmm. So I loved that. 
My next thing might blow you away because I don't know when it was that you last watched You've Got Mail. Are you ready oh, for it? A couple of days ago. <laughs> Are you ready? Yeah. Oh my God. It is Che Diaz. When? In the movie. Che Diaz in the movie. When? I knew you would have known this. Where? Che Diaz. Have you fact checked? Yes, of course I did. <laughs> also, uh, not a very unrecognizable person. Come yeah, on. okay. Yeah. Um, the uh, checkout chick. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, the checkout chick in the uh-huh. scene where she, like, cash only. doesn't have cash, card, whatever, and then Tom Hanks comes to rescue her. And calls and, her Rose. And then Rose is really nice to Tom Hanks, but then zip, Tom zip. Hanks walks away, yeah. and then she's mean again. Che yeah. Diaz. Wow. I know. That's a great fact. Yeah, I know. Thank okay. you. Um, and then my last comment was, Laura, did you ever use chat rooms? Uh, I didn't, no. Mostly what? because I wasn't allowed. Mm. I was told very specifically not to use chat rooms. Yeah, because chat rooms when we were younger had mm. that sort of um, energy of... ASL. <laughs> oh, my God, ASL. Yeah. <laughs> so I discovered chat rooms through a friend who was a little bit older, and we used to go home to her house after school mm. and use chat rooms um, and ASL all over the place. <laughs> so I just wondered if you had ever had the experience of actually, like, you know, being able to flirt with someone Meg Ryan style. Oh, no, definitely not. Okay, cool. Anyway, moving on to Sleepless in Seattle. Did you like it? Do you like You've, You've Got, got mail? mail? Yeah, um, yeah, it was good. I hated the ending. Right. The ending was ridiculous. Uh-huh. The ending was like, is that even an ending? Like, it's not that it's – I'm going to get on a rant now. <laughs> it made me angry because uh-huh. – Sorry for any spoilers, but she's lost her bookshop that her mother owned, which was Mm. really important to her and this beautiful part of her identity. And yeah, you know, like the seed has been planted that maybe she's going to work in publishing now and stuff, Mm. but she's lost this really beautiful thing in her life, but then she gets the man and that's Mm. kind of like, oh, great, like everything's okay Mm. now because she gets tom hanks who basically destroyed her business and her mom's business but it's okay because he's a handsome man who kisses her i did not think that i did not think that it would end that way i thought that perhaps that she would get some sort of collateral from fox books and that she would open her shop again without any control from fox books i think that's just you being like a little (laughs) bit romantic because there was absolutely no indication that that would Mm -hmm. happen. It literally just ended in the most anti-feminist way possible where it's like she's just like wandering down the street with nothing going for her Uh except the fact that she's going to stand in a garden and be kissed by Tom Hanks and then her life is going to be great. But I think... It really pissed me off. (laughs) You know, I don't want to hear you. I don't want to hear it either. All right. I didn't like it as much as When Harry Met Sally. Okay. But I did like it more than Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah, that's fair. So Sleepless in Seattle, these are my notes. The dialogue is snappier and very clever, mm-hmm. better than you've got mail. The family dynamic at the dinner table is great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How weird is it to introduce your family to someone you're engaged to? Our parents would kill us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah? That when was a just thing like that used to happen takes, back in the day. takes her boyfriend home for we're Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner and is like, oh, by the way, we're engaged. And they've literally just met the guy and everyone's excited. Like, there's just no way that would ever happen. I think that is like... Us. To be critical about it, I think that that could possibly be a comment from Nora Ephron on the ridiculousness of engagements and marriage like that. Did she not like engagements and marriage? She didn't not like engagements and marriage, Didn't-was but I think married, she... Like three times? Yeah, yeah. She, it's just the hoo-ha around it, Yeah, right. you know? Nice wedding dress. 
Tom Hanks has annoying helmet hair. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't look his best in this movie, i got to say. <laughs> he really doesn't. No. We love Rosie O'Donnell. We do love Rosie O'Donnell. Do they write movies like this anymore? Like, what's the modern-day Nora Ephron equivalent? Um, I said this to you the other day. It's mm. the series of movies in, like, the early 2010s with Catherine Heigl. What? Yeah. Were they trying to be Nora Ephron? They weren't trying to be Nora Ephron, but it was this they series of movies with, like, this person who was playing a very similar character, a la Meg Ryan. Yeah, but the cop, like, the copy. It's all no about one the is, copy. Yeah, but the, there's no, the no one. The quippy one-liners. I feel like I haven't seen them in movies. The only person who really time. comes close, and if she's listening to this, please take this compliment with everything that I've got, is Dolly Alderton. Is the only person who comes close. To the way that Nora Ephron writes. But Dolly Alderton hasn't written a movie. No, but she wrote a TV show and her book. You can tell by yeah, her book. Yeah, I know. I know that. She also just, gives the yeah. intro to one of Nora Ephron's books. Yeah. Okay. Precocious young child, wise beyond his years, <laughs> calls the woman a hoe. Classic 90s. That is so 90s. Yeah. I can't believe this little kid calls a woman a hoe and everyone's yeah. just okay with that. He's a lonely boy and, yes, precocious children. Like, you know, Freaky Friday. Like, there same is some same. significant slut shaming in this movie. <laughs> And then I was like, oh, it's the guy from Titanic. Literally uh-huh. can't even remember who that is, but yep. I wrote it down. Mm-hmm. And then I said, both movies have unbelievably easy breakup scenes with the wrong person. Yes. Like when they realize they're with the wrong person, they just get to sit there and be like, oh, yeah, I'm not in love with you. Oh, yeah, I'm not in love with you either. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is so great. Let's cheers our drinks and then move on with their lives. That never happens. No. That never, ever happens. It is so unrealistic. It it's is too easy. Yeah, of course it's too easy. Anyway, that's all my notes. Oh, that and then when Harry, met, when Harry Met Sally. Which which out of all three of these is probably my favourite. I watched this really? for the first... Yeah. I thought When Harry Met Sally was for sure your favourite. Yeah, well, that's what I said. When Harry Met Sally is my favourite. You just said Sleepers in Seattle. No, When Harry Met Sally is my favourite. Okay, everyone, three. pause, rewind, <laughs> what did she say? <laughs> I said, out of all three, When Harry Met Sally is my favourite. And Do you have something else to say about when Sleepers in Seattle? Because you no, because it, it's not. It's my out. least favorite of the three. Yeah, me too. Um, it's the one I've seen the least. They used to actually play it on Christmas Eve a lot, mm. which is the first time I saw it on TV. Okay, but the first time I saw When Harry Met Sally is when my parents bought it on DVD at a Video Easy closing down sale. Oh wow! In Cardiff. Okay. There you go. Good job. So when Harry Met Sally, I I just wrote um. Perfect. No notes. Ooh. No notes. I wish I could do that in Carolyn O'Donoghue's accent. Yeah. Perfect. No, no, no notes. notes. <laughs> <laughs> no notes. Um, no, I don't know if I have no notes or just I couldn't be bothered taking notes. Hmm. But I definitely like it the most. So this is where I think I'm going to give a little bit of context to why this movie was so significant to me personally. It's not just the way that it's written. I think this was the one where, you know, it's very New York in the fall. They have these beautiful scenes of them walking through the park with all of the autumn leaves and Meg Ryan is at her absolute peak of Meg Ryan-ness in, you know, this beautiful, like, brown coat She is and so hat. beautiful in that movie. And she's just Why like, wasn't Billy Crystal used in any more? Why did they switch to Tom Hanks? I don't know. I'm not sure. Or did they switch from Billy Crystal to Tom Hanks? Because I, I don't know off the That's top of my I'm head. There, yeah, but I don't know the top of my head which order they were made I in. I think when Harry Met Sally was first. Mm. That's when she's the youngest. So, and I think also this movie brings up lots of other pop culture references. Like they talk about Casablanca, which I had not seen. 
before I saw When Harry Met Sally and I didn't really understand the significance of the movie and the intertwining of the way that the story of Casablanca marries in with Harry Met Sally. It's really great. It's really awesome. I could probably do a PhD on the whole thing if I, I wanted to. I think you should. Also, everybody, Laura made us go to the cafe, like the, di- the Cat's diner. Cat's Deli. Cat's Deli in New York City where she has the orgasm. The famous orgasm scene. Yeah, she made us go there twice in two days. And I was like, Laura, I can't handle any more pastrami. Please yeah. don't make me. The pastrami sandwiches are a lot bigger than I think people think. It was like are. as big as my head. Yeah. And it's very Hectic. funny because I can see the people behind the counter who work at the deli, who have worked there for decades and decades, look at the tourists and go, no way. You're never going to finish it. And they never do. We no. never did. No. It feels like a kilo of pastrami. It's, at I least. don't even like pastrami. It's yucky. Well, I'm really glad that you had no notes on When Harry Met Sally. And I think that may, might be a self-protection move on your part too. because. Well, because- you so you feel so passionately about that movie. Yeah. Yeah. I will say one thing before we wrap up this segment about You've Got Mail. Okay. I have a bit of a thing with movies that are based on a lie. Oh, and do you? <laughs> I will always mention, I think that it is a very lazy plot device. You know, when someone is like, take younger for example not to slam a particular show but that's the first one that came to the top of my head that whole show is based on the fact that she's lying about her age most movies and shows are based on a lie because Mm. it's the ultimate form of conflict that keeps the tension alive well yes but it's also lazy like just make up a better okay why don't you write a movie then laura (laughs) You know, I just God. feel like I get so annoyed because I'm like, because you know, you can see how it's going to end. The lie is going to come out. Shit's going to hit the fan. There's going to be this redemption arc. And then they realized that they just needed to find joy within them to be That's happy. That's what everyone loves. Oh, people what do love say, that. Everybody? Except Laura. Do you know what? None of my movies are based on a lie that I chose. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that true? Center stage? Yeah. No lie. No lie. Bring it on. No lie. Well. Cody Ugly? A little bit of a lie. I mean, she lies and says that she's like working in a, I don't know, yeah. cafe. But actually but it's not as it doesn't rest as heavily as all those other no, movies that we would say. It's not what it's really about. It's more about her big city dreams. Yeah. So yeah, I hope that we've given some sort of insight into who we are as humans, and hopefully we can watch these movies again. Thank you everybody for participating in this challenge. <laughs> But, you know, we're going to move on to the books now. We're going to move on. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God, everybody at home who skipped these two segments. <laughs> it's over. We're going to move on to books now and words and a particular form of books and writing that I have recently got very, very into. Laura, one of the most impressive things that happened while you were away was not that I finished the edits of my book. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you missed me and told me out loud. No. <laughs> I would never admit that. Um, no, I'm really impressed because you were reading a lot. Great. I was. Yeah, yeah. I really was. So I, tell me what you tell everyone what you were reading. I think, I mean, I got myself into a really good routine because I was so far away and I was on a community called Kirikara, which is nine hours west of Owl Springs for anybody who missed that information. Um, there's nothing really to do there except for, you know, play sport with the kids and kind of walk in the dust so when I was missing home in particular which is very funny and kind of like low-key sweet so if you're not into it you can turn off now I read 
I read because it made me feel like I was at home. It made me mm. feel like we were a lot closer than probably what we were mm-hmm. in terms of distance wise than we definitely were. And then I also wanted like this, I wanted this tiny little bit of luxury that was mine. So I had Sundays and Mondays off from coaching the kids every week. And so on Sunday morning, I would get up and I would grab my New Yorker, which I slept with me from <laughs> Newcastle. And I bought one for every week. And I would open up my New Yorker. I would have a coffee. I would have a Vovo Bicky to buy, which I always have on a Sunday morning. And I would read my New Yorker. And the first thing that I always read is the um, Tables for Two. Table for Two, the segment in the New Yorker, um, which the predominant food writer is Hannah Goldfields. And... I just think she is incredible and amazing. And even if you don't love food. Oh, that's why we follow a random person yeah. on Instagram called Hannah Goldfield now. So something that happens is that Laura <laughs> never really goes on Instagram. Like if you speak to anyone on Secret Book Stuff, 99.9% of the time, that is me. Because Laura doesn't ever check it or do things. Um, but then occasionally, if she's finished watching, say, Selling on Sunset and becomes obsessed with all of the real estate agents in which Selling I still am. Shout out to Cochelle, who I know is listening to this. Go to our Instagram account. She won't go to her own personal one. She'll go to Secret Book Stuff Instagram and then follow all these <laughs> random plastic surgery real estate chickas from America. Yeah. And suddenly they'll all come up in the feed, and I'm like, what the hell? Like, what are these? And then recently I noticed this Hannah Goldfield person popped up. So I'm really glad that you solved the mystery of Hannah Goldfield because, yeah, she's the predominant food writer for The New Yorker yeah. and writes in the section Tables for Two. And every week, so I subscribe, every week she goes to a new restaurant or a new takeaway place or a new hole in the wall on the corner. And I just think she is one of the most incredible writers that I have ever read. And I don't know why, but there's this feeling of home when you read what she's writing. And I also feel like when I was literally in the middle of nowhere, I could read something that made me feel like I was in the middle of everywhere. If that makes sense. <laughs> Thank you. What a Laura line. Thank you very much. I, I'm sorry. Did that come from a Nora Ephron movie? No, or is that's that an mine. OG Laura line? <laughs> that's mine. That's mine. Okay. And so I always read Tables for Two. And, you know, usually, and unfortunately, what I then do with The New Yorker is skim through, read the cartoons and the captions and see if there are any other stories that grab my eye. Okay. And then I shut it. Okay. And or do the crossword. Okay. But sometimes I do it on my phone because I need the hints. Anyway. But this time I had more time and I wanted, I really needed to fill that time with something because like I said, there's not a lot to do out there and there was, it was very dangerous close for me to getting very, very homesick and being feeling very, very far away. But this time I decided to do something different, which was read the fiction section, okay, the short story. You know, Cat Person was first published in the New Yorker. Shelley Jackson that. wrote a lot for The New Yorker. The Lottery was the f- first published in The New Yorker. You know, it's it's not substandard fiction by any means. It's very great for snobs like me. So what I did is read a story called So Late in the Day by Claire Keegan. And I was first intrigued by the photo, the cover photo. It was just like a handful of cherries. It was really great. Oh, yeah. You know what's really popular right now? What? Hands holding fruit. Okay. It's a real thing on book covers. Mm. Mm. Okay. Anyway, carry on. Yeah. So anyway, back to me. Um, <laughs> I really loved this story and 
I mean, loose plot-wise, it's basically about a young man who is going through a significant breakup with somebody who sounds like she's quite a free spirit, quite just wants to do what she wants to do. But it's also a really great commentary on Irish culture and a man's role in Irish culture and a woman's role in Irish culture. And it was freaking amazing. And I loved it. I loved it so much. And obviously I've tried to Google, you know, everything about Claire Keegan that I possibly can. Um, And, you know, she's just an Irish writer known for her award-winning short stories. That's pretty much it. She's been published in the New Yorker, you know, the best American short stories, the Paris Review. She's also been translated into 20 languages, which I think is pretty amazing, you know. So she's really great. And I've been begging Amy to read it for probably close to 15 years now is what, <laughs> is what it feels like. How the tables have turned. Usually How it's me begging you table. to read something, but this time you've been begging me to read it. And I, every time I go to read it, I'm not logged into the dumb New Yorker account. And so I've hit my limit of free articles and I can't remember your login details. So yeah, right. that's my excuse sure, sure, and it's sure. a pretty good one. Um, but then you found her short story collection when you came back to Sydney, yeah? I did. Well, I found what I thought was her short story collection. Is it not? It's, no, it's a novella. So, oh, that's even better. That's yeah, cool. It's a novella. And I've tried to read it, and it's not as good as the story. What's but it then, called? Oh, God. Now I can't even remember. I'm doing oh, the worst promo ever for Claire. God. Sorry, Claire. Why didn't you write it down? But I feel like in terms of short stories that I have loved, it takes a lot for something to grab me with such veracity that this story did. Mm. I mean, I am confused whether it was just because I had nothing else to do that I was so enthralled by this story or it's like purely the power of the story that That's enthralls really interesting, me actually to think you about know? because I think the context in which we read is really important and for you you hadn't read something and loved it in such a long time maybe you hmm. needed the brain space maybe you needed to be taken out of your comfort zone out of your normal environment into a place where you didn't have a million other things on your plate like doing the washing and you know, taking Albie outside for a wee and all the yeah. normal day-to-day all things. things that meant that you had more brain space to absorb and enjoy yeah. a story in The New Yorker. So the novella that I bought, um, it's called Small Things Like These, and it was the winner of the Orville Prize for Political Fiction in 2022. And the synopsis, it's 1985 in an Irish town. During the weeks leading up to Christmas, Bill Furlong, a coal and timber merchant, faces his busiest season. As he does the rounds, he feels the past rising up to meet him and encounters the complicit silences of people controlled by the church. So very interesting synopsis, but I just didn't get into it um, as much as I have. I'll tell you why, because you were reading something else that you loved more, which we won't mention yet, because mm. we've actually decided to use that book for an upcoming yeah. book choice for Amy and Laura's book club, and we don't want you to buy it, because if you're a subscriber, you need to get it from us instead, <laughs> yeah. obviously. Um, so, yeah, are you going to ask me what I'm reading, or is this all about Laura? I mean, it is mostly about me. <laughs> I guess that we can maybe briefly mention what you're reading, but at first I want to talk about short stories and short fiction. Because oh, first. Yeah. In first, addition to the last 15 minutes of you talking. First and foremost, this is my show. Thanks for being a guest. Um, but, you know, I like that one, did you? It's really just flipped on the head this time. I'm usually the one in control of the show. 
It's great. And you're just sitting back having a good time. Um, so speaking of short stories, let's talk about a short story that you loved and that you actually introduced me to a long time ago yeah. by one of my favorite authors, mm-hmm. really, which yeah. is called... Trucks. Yes, by... Stephen King. Why do you love it? Because it scared the absolute daylights out of me. Yeah. And I couldn't stop. I still haven't stopped thinking about it. It's been probably about... How old am I? 33? 70. <laughs> it's been... Um, 84 12, years. It's, no, legit. It's been 12 years since I read that story, wow. that short story. Um, I remember my boyfriend at the time had... A really tattered old story collection by Stephen King. Called Night Shift. That had Shawshank Redemption and Children of the Corn in it. And I remember reading those. Mm-hmm. And he had it like next to his bed. And I just like randomly picked it up and started reading it one night. And I read Trucks and it was terrifying. It's a short story about trucks that kind of come alive. Yeah. And take over the world. And they're, you know, in charge of humans. And they're really sinister. And it's so... It sounds absolutely ridiculous when you read it, when you say it out loud like that. But it was really, really scary. And there's the tension that he builds. It's amazing. And I've been a Stephen King fan ever since because I just think that his mastery of very tense horror short stories is excellent. I can't say I've really enjoyed anything novel form that he's Mm. written. Have you given it a try? Yeah, but I've never finished any of Mm. them. I Um, think the thing with trucks is, to give a better synopsis than you did, is that there are lots of people who are trapped inside of a diner yeah, and things start kind of going That's wrong. The, big scene. Like the power goes off, and you know they kind of feel like they're trapped. And suddenly they see all of these semi-trailer trucks yeah. doing laps around the diner. Yeah, with no drivers. Oh so, my god! You know, it's I'm this whole like literally, thing. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. But then it kind of builds, and it builds in the way that the tension continually rises, and you mm. think that, oh, my God, this is really bad, but, you know, maybe we can deal with this, and then something else, like another yeah. layer. Like, it's a very layered story, and it's the end, so good. it still gets you. So. It's so good. I really want to read it again now. Yeah. And honestly, while we're on the subject, though, short stories is something that we always tell people to read if they're in a reading slump. Yes. Like, if you've been out of your reading game for a little while and you want to get back into it, one of the biggest tips that we have is try reading a short story. Um, and next episode, we're actually going to tell you a little bit more about our hot tips for getting back into reading, especially mm-hmm. as in Australia, we're heading into spring, which everyone knows is practice for beach reading weather. Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about next episode. Mm. Um, but to round out this episode, we have some news. Some very big news. It's not that big. <laughs> So for our last segment today, everybody, we have something a little special. It's an announcement. Um, I know that every time we record an episode, it's like, yeah, we've got a new announcement. Um, And it's not as big as Laura made out to be. And it's definitely not as big as the news from last episode, which was about my book deal, if you remember correctly. You were looking at me like I was meant to announce it again. No, 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 no. I was just looking at you like, whoa, it feels like so Mm. long ago that we recorded that episode because it It was. It was, yeah, it really Um, was. So we are... That is also really good, by the way. What is? Your book. Oh, I've thanks, Dale. That's really nice. No worries. Yeah, Laura read my book while she was in the Northern Territory. Yeah. Um, the current version of it. And it was mm-hmm. the first time she'd read it in five years. And so it's very different, isn't it? Yeah. Bloody blew me away, I've got to say. Oh, that's nice. It did. Um, Go on, then. So what are we... What are we, what are we we've what, got what's some, We've got some big news. Not that big. But Stop saying big news. It's still exciting. <laughs> it's <laughs> exciting for us. It's exciting. It's not that big. Go on. We're going overseas very soon. We're yes. going to Scotland next month. 
Um, and we're super excited for many reasons. The most important one being, hello, it's been several years since we've traveled overseas. It's actually this month. Since, is it? Yeah. Holy <laughs> fucking shit. That's amazing. Whoa. Yeah. I'm going to do some packing. Um, yeah. We're going to Scotland. We're going to Scotland because ridiculously, we've been together for almost five years mm-hmm. and we've only been on one proper holiday which was to America for my yep. 30th birthday in 2019, right before we opened our physical bookshop. And then after that, our holidaying days were kind of over for a little while because we had a bookshop. So we basically had like a child. We couldn't just leave our mm. shop to go on holidays. Um, on a jolly holiday. Yeah. And then COVID happened and we were meant to move to and the UK. And suddenly we were 30. But <laughs> yeah, we were meant to move to the UK and that didn't happen because of COVID and now it's been several years. And we're not moving before anyone panics. We're not moving. We're just going Settle over down. there. I have always had this dream of working on my book and writing in the Highlands of Scotland, which is my favorite place in the world. Um, and now that I have a book deal and an actual book to be editing yeah. and then a second book to be writing, I was like, Lordal, it's time. Let's Lordal, do it. Um, and that, we're doing it. To that, I have to say... Dreams can come true. You know you got to hang on. You know you got... You don't know. I have no idea (laughs) what that song is. What are you singing? I'm basically saying that dreams can come true because your dreams are coming true. Did you just make that song up? No. (laughs) No. Why didn't you start singing like the Cranberries or something? I don't know. That's the first one. Or like walking on a dream. Yeah, sure. Yeah, anyway. So we're going to Scotland. (laughs) Amy's going to work on her book. I'm going to make sure that Amy works on her book and, you know, more on that on another day. <laughs> yeah. Laura's going to be there to supervise. We're going to do some hiking, some Lots exploring. Of hiking, um, my family history is in Scotland. So yes. Clan Fraser represent. Mm. I don't know if you've watched a certain show called Outlander, but if you know all about the Jacobites and mm-hmm. the Jacobite rebellion, Lord Lovett is... your France. Lord Lovett is my uh, ancestor and he was you know, a famous Jacobite. So Lord yeah. Lovett of the Lovett's of the Amy Lovett. <laughs> Lord Lovett of the Amy Lovett's of Fraser clan. Um, if you are looking so... for a show to learn more about Scotland though, maybe skip Outlander and watch Susan Calman's secret Scotland. Oh my which God. We're obsessed. <laughs> currently obsessed with. <laughs> so Susan Calman is a comedian from Scotland and we love her and she's great. And she goes all around Scotland and does amazing things. Yeah. She like reveals secrets of Scotland and cool places you should visit that are a little bit under the radar. Yeah. And she's very cute and funny. Um, and she's also a lesbian. So there's our gay stuff recommendation yeah. <laughs> for this episode since we didn't really get into much gay stuff. Uh, just us being here together in real life, you know. That is pretty gay, speaking I will of, say. Speaking of gay stuff, what's happening next episode? Next episode, we are going to be introducing a brand new segment called The Quick and Dirty. So stay tuned for the next episode to find out what that is all about. We're going to help you get back into reading, as I mentioned before. And we're going to discuss... Mm. The Cruel Intentions <laughs> musical, which we saw recently. We were so excited about it. And if you remember from, I think it was episode one or two, where we talked about Jagged Little Pill, the 90s musical that we saw at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have some things to say. Let's just say that. And we're excited to talk about that with you. So thank you so much for being here for another episode. Not as chaotic as the last. No. Not as much giggling, but apparently you'll like the giggling. So maybe we should have <laughs> upped the giggling, actually. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, thank you for listening. As always, it's really nice to talk to you post episode. If you want to get in touch with us, as always, email us hello at secretbookstuff.com. Message us at secretbookstuff on Instagram. Slide we love Amy's it. DMs. Slide into my DMs because <laughs> Laura never stuff. responds to anybody, but no. I will. Um, and thank you for being involved in the conversation, as always. Great job. Thanks, Thanks for being a guest. No worries. Thanks for being a guest on my <laughs> show, the Laura Show. Catch you next time. And I really loved was a story called So Late in the Day by Claire Egan. And Egan. holy heck, Claire Egan. Sorry. Oh, my God. Stuffed it. Anyway. <laughs> Say the author again one more time. Amy, thank you. Oh. What the fuck? It's Claire Egan. It's Keegan! Oh, damn it. Hang it's on. fucking Keegan. <laughs> this podcast was recorded on the unceded lands of the Gundungurra people. We pay our respects to First Nations elders, past, present and emerging.